100% think big. Think 10 years ahead. I think that was something that probably I was missing, uh, especially in the beginning, you know, trying to look where this is ultimately was going. And then really try to start the journey of raising capital right away because it teaches you a lot. Because people don't invest in you, oftentimes it's because maybe you have something that is not worth being investing into it. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to have Luca Zambello, the CEO at Journey, Inc., here with us today. Luca, thanks for joining us. Steve, thank you for having me. Well, Luca, we jump, Yeah, Luca, we jump in straight away every episode. What was your first job in hospitality? Yeah, it's, a, it's actually kind of an interesting story um, about... 11 years ago now, um, I, you know, I was, uh, I moved to, to US from Italy originally, and uh, I was like, looking for ways to make money. And uh, I came across somebody like looking for a villa, like renting, uh, was looking to rent a villa and mm -hmm. um, for an event. And what I realized is that there was a really not easy way to find villas for rent anyway. So everything mm -hmm. was on through brokers. It was very early age of airbnbs and vrbo were like really just starting and people were just getting familiar to the fact that there was that you could have done that online right um right. so i realized that that there was a business that it was doing that but everything was on through brokers and through word of mouth um and nothing was done online so the first one of the first things that i did i, I started i built an inventory of properties that were available for short-term rentals and i open up a, a landing page uh, where I was like literally advertising online. And I and I, I think my first time I, I put maybe a thousand dollars and I didn't even showcase the properties. It was just literally a landing page in, in, in spending AdWords. And we got quite a bit of interest right away. And that company was just me. And then eventually I hired an assistant when the volume got pretty big and I did $1.2 million in revenue year one. So this is like uh, 2010, 11, right? So right. Airbnb is kind of like brand, brand new. Yes. Uh, and you 
I just want to make sure I get this right. That's really cool. Actually, you were looking for a villa, or someone had asked you to find a villa. Correct. Someone asked. Someone was just. Hey, look at you know. Yes. You know, I need a villa for some event, yeah. and you know anybody? And no one had strung it together. So you just started putting the data together and made a, a landing page and called that's all the owners and said, "Hey, if I get a booking, can I send them your way?" That's correct. And the way I structure it, like that is very interesting because if you think about it, like now it could never work. In fact, mm -hmm. they only worked for, for 12 months. It was an extreme arbitrage. Um, so the way I would be like, I would say, hey, I have an event or I'm a short term rental for a month. Like how much do you want for your luxury villa? They will say, I don't know, I'm just throwing a number, 20 yeah. grand. Mm -hmm. I would say, okay, great. And then I'll go to the client and says, okay, uh, the villa will be 30 grand. <laughs> so my, my, my management fees, like my arbitrage fee, uh, they were ranging from like anywhere from like twenty percent all the way to like sometimes fifty percent. Um, and yeah. and it was a, on a deal by deal scenario, right? Like so, like talk about non scalable business, but that for for luxury, it really makes sense because the the money were there and the margins were there. So on like the first one, I'm just. I love this kind of stuff. Like, so the first one where you're like, all right, he just told me 10 grand. I think I could sell it for 12. Was it like that? And you just exactly. Sell it? <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. it. Nice. And then I, I, I would make the, the owner agree for that price. And then the clients agree for the rest. And I'll talk the difference. Nice. Well, you did that for a while, right? Like in that kind of role, if I was looking at my notes the right way. Right. So you started it in that 2011 time. You built it up. How did that continue? So, yeah, it was interesting because I it, it really worked for 12 months because the arbitrage, like, owners got smart quickly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then they started realizing that they could list the properties on Airbnb and, and, and VRBO. And it mm -hmm. really happened simultaneously, which was, was very interesting. And then some companies like uh, Luxury Retreat and One Fine State, they start coming to the market, LA market specifically, and they're venture-backed companies with plenty of capital and my my cost per click went from twenty cents to like four dollars on on luxury villas, <laughs> like literally over two, within twelve months, just crazy. So the the whole market changed and matured like overnight. And so I started managing uh, homes exclusively. Started here in LA and uh, and uh, build it up to about like twenty six luxury properties and realized. The, that that's not the business I wanted to be in. I didn't want to be uh, in between like luxury clients that are have high budgets to spend and the owners that they are probably were even crazier than the clients I had <laughs> at the time. Right. So, so I was just stuck in between the two, and I was like, "This is not good. This is I I, I want to build a tech company, and I'm just on myself like right, not doing that." For the listeners out there who are thinking about this, that's a 24-hour-a-day business because if the guests need something, you need to be answering. If the owner needs something, you got to answer the owners of these luxury villas or they'll find someone else, right? That is exactly correct. 24-7. <laughs> yeah, so and, and then when you have limited resources, that means that you are the 24-7 customer support. And especially when you do luxury, you cannot really outsource that. Mm -hmm. um, unless you hire somebody that is, you know, very expensive and has some good communication skill. And so I said, I started looking to alternatives way of doing things. And I rented one apartment here in LA. And this is like maybe now nine years ago. Um, 
I think was very, very beginning. I think the first one was like stay Alfred to start scaling that that first uh, Lisa arbitrage uh, model. And it was like just kind of around there, the same time. Um, in the, in the so I rented this apartment, sub rented and realized I was making money. But this is this wasn't a model back then, right? Was that was that your plan uh, though? You said I'm going to rent it and then put it out. You put on yeah, Airbnb, yeah, yeah, yeah. or you were doing I, something else? I said else. let's try because I don't I want to eliminate the owners. I don't want to deal with the owners, <laughs> and yeah. I want to change my my market range because I think if we go to the over the super luxury. The clients are extremely difficult, extremely difficult. Um, so I said, I want to eliminate the owners. I want to try to make this. My whole obsession was to how can you make this industry scalable, right? And I said, I see the opportunity. There is a massive market. This is a growing industry. How can how can I make money out of this? Mm-hmm. So I rent an apartment here in Lane and start subraining it. Then realized that was more than doubling the rent. I said, this is great. So then went from one apartment to about like uh, 30 apartments, great business. Then all of a sudden, the city started deciding that they're going to regulate Airbnb and they're not going to allow Airbnb in, in LA. And and I was like, oh my God, I just I just I finally figured out the, the right formula to scale something and, and make good money. And I said that, that becomes complicated. So what I did, I started looking at the market that they have the best regulation pro Airbnb and um, we looked at uh, Nashville and Dallas. So before they start changing the the rules, um, which I knew that they were already approved and it was a matter of time that eventually they would have limited the sub 30 days rentals in LA. I launched the same model in Dallas and Nashville. So, uh, so we- I want to walk it back. So you're in Los Angeles now, you got 30 apartments. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get nervous that, Hey man, I'm signing 30 leases across the city or you felt confident. Like, all right, we're good. This is rolling and I'm good to go. You I got to furnish them, the, right? The margins were so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now there are people running on much thinner margin. Rents were not as high and you could make a lot more money. Uh, so the, the, the difference, the, the arbitrage was a lot greater. And was and it still was- just you? No, no. At the time, okay. we were we had cleaners and, uh, yeah, but I still sure. remember the, the the time where where the first unit was my wife and I like going through IKEA and just like improvised like their designers, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we yeah. furnished and we furnished the time my girlfriend, uh, and we furnished that that first unit. Um, it we were to start from from nothing, but then money started rolling in, so we were able to to hire people and. I hired basically someone who's like a man, like a operational manager, and then uh, I had cleaners and housekeepers, yeah. exactly. So yeah, so we realized that the LA market was going to be like something that is that was not going to stay uh, around for a long time. I said like, and last thing I want to do, and this is what scared me actually, because Santa Monica moved before LA City, and Santa Monica is independent; it's its own city, so. I knew of this person that had 130 leases, 130, and overnight the city shut his operation down, and he was on the hook for 130 leases. That was like that's. I was like, that could happen to us tomorrow, right? That's a scary scenario, mm-hmm. right? So we we decided to to start looking into the Dallas and Nashville market. So we flew to Dallas, we flew to Nashville, so talked to people over there, and then signed. Sign master leases over there. We're one of the first one that did it, for example, in Dallas. Like we still, like that that building 
basically like we will still run it like until a few months ago actually wow um so are you signing when you say master leases because i want to give the listeners just all the info here because some may not be as familiar as you and i with vacation rentals so you're going in mm-hmm. you signing out apartments or are you doing entire buildings at that time in nashville and dallas what were you looking yeah for? we were trying to do uh either floors or like sections of a building Mm-hmm. So we would go to an apartment that had like an apartment complex that had some vacancy. Um, and we would say, hey, we would like to take a good chunk of all of your vacancy if you have it. Um, and we will want to run them as, as short-term rentals. So very upfront, you have to tell them exactly what you're going to be doing and see which building was okay with it. Um, so like, this, sometimes it's it a was... scary pitch, right? Because sometimes they're like, no, I don't want that here. And then others, you say yes because they want the money, right? So you exactly. have to work your magic. I think now it's hard because people really know what it is. Back mm-hmm. then it was hard because people didn't know what it was. Yeah. <laughs> so it's always hard. Convince them. Yes, you could convince them, but then they will be like, okay, this is not what I was expecting. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so we, we did uh, sign those leases and um, start building that. As we're building that, we saw this like massive companies all building on this master lease model. We start realizing because we were really looking closely at the data and here, also pretty early adopter of AirDNA since the very beginning. Um, and we were looking at the data and we were like, these people are not making money. I was looking at these leases and I'm like, I knew what they would what they what leases they signed because I would talk to owners and they would tell me the the prices. Right. And I will see what they were renting and I'm out on Airbnb. I said, there, it's, there's no way they're going to be making money. They were venture-backed. So they did it with venture money. And very much like just like we were, but started as a profitable business, but then eventually just just got just on the scale mode. And they were like, they were scaling on venture money. So they were signing leases that didn't make any sense. And yeah, it I happened the that. same thing. And it happened the same exact thing across the board on a, a lot of these companies. And I'm not going to say the names, but we all know that. And I said, this is unsustainable. This is not going to work. So we pivoted into management hard because we're trying to sell management to our multifamily. And that's a very, very hard pitch. Right. So what we did, we said, hey, we, by the way, simultaneously, when all of this was happening, we, we really built what we, because as I told you before, I'm a strong believer in creating something that is scalable. So we built a lot of automations around this and a lot of processes, a lot of like a really impressive tech stack because we understood that that was going to be the future. And uh, um, so we, we realized and we said, hey, wait a second. What if we actually tried to convert some of these things in, in, and bring some of these things into boutique hotels and make those boutique hotels more of an Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Uh, and probably you're from kind of yeah. more familiar. Make them more efficient. Yeah. Early conversation that we were having. Mm-hmm. And so we start selling management to hotels. So like it's a long journey on how, how, how everything happened. Build that management company uh, uh, up to 300 units. So, so I want to come back a couple of steps. So you get into Nashville, you get into Dallas, you sign some master leases. Do you still have the things in LA going on at that time or do you get out of them? Uh, once we 
built LA and Nash, uh, sorry, uh, Nashville and Dallas profitably. Like once they were up and running and they were profitable, we got rid of the LA units because we didn't yeah, want to be. Didn't make sense on the hook for yeah, that. Yeah, it didn't make sense. We didn't want to risk. Right. To get shut down. And so and I remember. For those leases. Was yeah. this about like 2014, 2015 time when you're doing this? Yeah. Right? That's, about that's that time. About so that's right, when yes. I got into it the first time. And I know you didn't want to mention coming, but I started watching like the Alfreds of the world and the Saunders that was called flat book at the time and Picasa yep. and one fine stay and all these people like doing master leases in my city of Miami, Miami beach. And I couldn't compete. Like you said, I couldn't understand the numbers. It didn't make, <laughs> it didn't make any sense. Yep. And unless you raise money, you really had to do a hard pitch on management. So you decided to pitch to management. Was that yeah, cool. a tough sell for you, or did you find like it was just a slower ramp up, but people were buying super it? Super tough sell, mm -hmm. super tough sell, because you have to be like, "Hey, you're gonna take all the risk," <laughs> and yeah. I think none. You yes. just gotta trust me. <laughs> and one of the worst things you can say when you're trying to sell someone is like, "Trust me." <laughs> yeah. So for listeners, if you're not um, familiar with this model, the model, can you explain it, Luca, for the listeners that don't understand the difference between a master lease and doing a management deal? Definitely. Yeah. On a master lease, you basically assume all the risk. You guarantee a minimum amount of income to the owner and let's say $3,000 per month per unit times whatever amount of units and times how many years you, you want to stay in that building and the owner agrees to that. So obviously you take the entirety of the risk and you sign a guarantee and uh, that guarantee is usually good for owners because they can go and finance the building. Um, but with 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 those with those contracts signed on a management on the other end you say hey you know normally you make three thousand dollars a month with whatever you're doing right now um but you know if i bring short-term rentals and my expertise i can start making you forty five hundred dollars a month for that i will charge you 15 percent or whatever 10 percent or whatever, whatever the management deal is the mm -hmm. fee is uh but you still net out 20 or 30% more money than you're making today. So obviously that sounds better because they're making more money, but in reality, they're taking all the risk because if you're not performing and you're making $2,000 that month, they, they absorb all the losses and you still make your management fee. Right. So, so really a partnership. A like a, yes. There's a true partnership. A partnership. <laughs> but you said it could be risky, especially in markets that aren't the, the top markets in the city, but you chose some good markets. So, all right, so you start transitioning, you got a good tech stack, and you start to do what next? What happens? You start making moves. Yeah, so so, so we wanted to, to to really scale the management company. Honestly, we could have. But what we saw the value even more um, is all these years of experience and bringing experts from some of these large companies that we, we brought some of the talent to, as they laid off or some of them closed. Um, bringing the experience from some of the large hotels, um, we, we hire some former executives from some large hotels, like, uh, like instant core. And so we brought a lot of experts all together and we, we, we start really developing a lot of technologies because we realized technologies and having a good tech stack is what makes the difference between a scalable or a non-scalable management company, whether you master lease or you manage. You still need it. Once yeah. you start having a lot of units, it becomes exponentially more complicated. Like the, there is, there's different gaps, you know, a handful of units, then you start getting to the 15, 20 units, then you start getting to the 
50 plus units, and then you get into the 100 plus units. And all each of these steps gets exponentially a lot more complicated. And then if you want to get into the hundreds or in, even on the thousands of units, you really need to have either an insane team or an insane tax stack or both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, today's hospitality has been scaled with people, but with people comes a lot of errors. And uh, hotels have the advantage that they have centralized operations. So you manage, like you're managing 300, 400 units and they're all in the same place. They're geolocated all in the same building. They're looking yep. exactly the same have the exact same amenities. You do that in short-term rental industry. It's, at, it's completely different. It's not easy to manage a 300 units uh, hotel, but try managing 300 short-term rental units. Yeah, it's much harder. <laughs> when it's maybe like in uh, 15 or 20 different buildings, mm-hmm. right? Like you're, you're talking about a lot of variables, a lot of room for mistakes, a lot of room for mistakes. And you really need to be well, very well organized. And we understood that, that because this industry is booming and is exploding, and because the only way to be successful in this industry is to have a really extremely good tax stack, we decided to double down on tax stack. This was happening simultaneously as we were building the management company. So we did raise money to build that tax stack specifically. But initially, it was for our internal use only. But as we start building that, we realized that we were fixing a much bigger issue, that it was an issue that was our issue, but it was also the issue of some of even this largest company, all the way down to the small guys, right? And the mom and pops businesses, they all had the exact same issues. And so um, we decided to literally detach the two companies and use the management company actually as kind of like the guinea pig to build this, but to eventually build this tech stack and then open it to to clients and other management companies. Yeah. So I want to talk about that because that can be scary. And, and for listeners, when we're mentioning a tech stack, that's really your operating system. So if you come from the hotel world, think of your front desk software, your revenue management software, your housekeeping software, how you keep track of your engineering team, everything to really run your business is your tech stack. And so in vacation rental, like Luca is saying, it really is the key to success or failure. <laughs> so if you don't have it dialed in, you, it could crush you. But if you're using certain tools, it can get expensive. So I'm guessing that's kind of what happened, right? You started saying, man, we're spending a lot of money on some of these tools and it's not doing everything we want. Is that kind of how that started happening? I, I, think, I think a few different issues. That's, that's one, like the amount of money they have to spend. Two is the inefficiency the fact that you have to have uh, multiple things. one point like six seven different dashboards and 10 different subscriptions in each building and each thing it's it's messy on top of that it doesn't work together as a single system they're kind of just glued together mm-hmm. <laughs> with glue yeah <laughs> and it's not built to be working together as a single system and this integration, a lot of these integrations are done with just public API because the, today the way it works is that PMS needs to be able to work with five different pricing tools or 15 different pricing tools and then seven uh, different like cleaning management apps. Like, and, and that's like that for every service. And the industry is not getting simpler. There's more and more service provider each year and there's more niche services each year. 
So you have a guest mobile app, and then you have the, the revenue thing, and then you have the cleaning, and then you have the access control system. It, it just at least keeps building up. It goes on and on. So the complexity is increasing exponentially. But the problem is everything, again, is connected through someone that has to be able to connect with everyone. Right. So by doing that, they're not going to do any connection great because they, they have to do the minimal amount of work for each connections. And, and the partners are not going to invest so much money to that connection because they know that they're integrated with all the other competitors as well for that PMS. So that causes another issue that you see, you see in small scale, but in big scales, increases exponentially, which is the finger pointing, which is another thing that I cannot stand in this, I could not stand in this industry when we were building our system, where you not, don't know, the system doesn't work and you don't know whose fault it is. Right, and give an example for, for listeners out there, right? You're running hundreds of units. What are some things that were happening? Let's say, for instance, that you have a, an access control system, a service that you're paying, and now all of a sudden, all your lock across 300 properties don't work. <laughs> so no guests can get inside their place. That is exactly correct. And you can understand that that can become yeah. a pretty challenging situation very quickly, right? You can have, you can have sometimes, you know, 80, 90% occupancy. That means that you have over yeah, 250 people. guests, yeah. exactly thousands of people, 250 main guests, keys. With, yeah. like exactly 250 keys, but also their guests, they have guests as well. It's thousands of people that all of a sudden they don't have access to a place. You can and, understand yeah. what happened. Even if you have, at the time we had, you know, 12 people in the customer support, still there was not even close to enough coverage yeah. to handle this, this, this problem. And always in the middle of the night, right? Exactly. <laughs> or peak checking hours, like yeah. one of the two. Yeah. So this is this is the type of issues that I think you cannot afford to have as you start scaling. And this is one an example, but it can happen the same exact thing. Things like double booking or like your pricing doesn't work and now now you just got a hundred reservations at the minimal minimal price that you have. But you gotta go and cancel those reservations, or how do you explain that to the owners that you're managing for? Or if you have a master lease, now all of a sudden you have to hit some losses. This is this is constant, right? And anybody that has built a tech stack may understand that this stuff happens. Doesn't matter, even if you choose the best of the best in the business. All right. So you're sitting in your conference room, you're seeing this with your team, and you have a is this when you started to think about creating the separate company? Is that kind of how it came yeah, up? Yeah, hundred percent. I think we 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 start we start seeing this from day one and from day one we, we're trying to fix it and what, what, what we were trying to fix it we were trying to fix it with the current service providers that they are out there that that didn't work we tried all different flavors we literally used every single pmf major pms that is on the market i mean there's some new ones that are coming out right now again but it just just didn't work right uh so what we decided we said hey let's start building each piece Let's start building some of these integrations. We were talking to these PMS partners and said, "Hey, I need to. I need more out of these integrations. I'll make the integration for you. Can you can you allow me? Can you help me to build a stronger integration?" So that's what we start doing at first. Build a tech stack around that, and then what we did was we selected the best of 
the best for each service and the services that didn't work for us, for example, access control system, we couldn't find a service that worked and was reliable for us. So we built our own from scratch. That was the first piece. Guest mobile app, we couldn't find anything that was up to our standards. We built our own guest mobile app. Um, but for pricing, for instance, we and I very transparent who we use, we use Wheelhouse. But I split test every single pricing tool, every single one of them for six months and let's see who was performing better. And I could do nice. it out of 300 properties. Mm -hmm. And and so all of a sudden I choose who's worth working better and who was willing to work with me the most because you need them to customize within your own system. So we choose them. We choose um, our host for guest verification system because they give us basically they give they give us a license to to their software. So we basically embedded entirely their system inside of our system. Nice. But at one point, what was missing was the glue that glued it all together, so, which is the engine, which is the PMS, right? Property management software. Right. So we that was the last piece that we were missing. So we built that from scratch because you want to build it specifically for what we built around it, right? So we built all the stack stack around it, but then we needed the final piece to glue it all together. But it was made to just work with those partners. So this is a very, very different approach than anything that has ever happened in this market, which is it's a pre-built tech stack. And how it can sound very complicated. Yeah, no, it sounds like you're working you almost, you're working to the end of the goal. Like you're working backwards. Like here are the tools that work best. And now we're going to connect those tools with our PMS, right? Exactly. So, and that's great. But I want to go back to some things like the how part, right? Because there's one thing that had the idea. Like I'm sure there's vacation rental managers out there. They're like, oh my God, I wish I could just make this thing happen, right? But you all yeah. had the idea and then execute on it. How does that conversation have? Because some of these things are not cheap. Was it that you had to raise money? Did you have money saved? And you say, all right, we're going to hire developers from another country online and we'll work with them. Is that kind of the steps that happened or was it different? No, I think there's a few different steps that happened. Number one, I think having the luck of having run several different ventures that had to bootstrap and make them profitable and did things without investment before allowed me to be very capital efficient. Um, but at the same time, I had to learn the game of raising money because I, I realized that if you don't raise money, you cannot build big projects. Right. So we raised 13.5 13, 13 million dollars. A uh, good chunk. So far. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a good chunk. And, but we made it we made it last and we made really each dollar go as far as it could go. And as I mentioned, I'm originally from Italy, so I had a lot of connections there. And one of the big things of, if you are from Italy, you realize that it's, even if you're a big talent, it's really hard to make a big career. And when you are hiring a developer in the US, you're competing against all the major tech companies in the world, period. You know, yeah. you compete against Google, you compete against Apple. The, the, those are the people that are hiring the best out, talent. And then you have the second layers, which also are just as big companies and tons of venture back companies. So it's, I say it's close to impossible to hire a really good engineer in the US. Yep. And majority of the engineering team and developers teams that I see, they're even on, on venture back companies are senior, not junior, uh, because it's impossible to find really good junior 10 plus year experience. Yep. You sometimes are getting paid maybe maybe even half a million dollars a year today, which yes. is insanity, right? 
So you um, went to Italy and hired a team in Italy to do it? Yeah, we actually, we start first, like work with a software agency of a friend that I knew that's been around for a long time. And then we ended up absorbing that company. And now we have, we have a pretty large, no, pretty large, but a good size engineering team there. And we really like hire the best talent. This is one of the things that I want to say that we did. Yep. Anywhere we go, we ha- we love hiring outside of like anywhere in the world. We hire where the talent is. We really don't care. But one of the things we do, which is different, I think, from a, a lot of other companies, wherever we go into that market, we pay more than what that market pays. I don't know how many times I heard people trying to go hire like in other markets like Philippines or Mexico, and then they go and just try to pay whatever the average salary is there. You're going to get the average or the worst talents you're going to find there. They're, and then they're like complaining. It's like, oh, but it's not as good as a US-based uh, uh, customer support. Yes, of course, if you're just paying average, you're going to get what you pay for. But what if you pay twice as much as the average or sometimes three times as much and you offer benefits? You actually set up an infrastructure there so that people feel like they are real employees just like they are here in the U.S., Mm-hmm. But changes people don't see it that way. They go through this third-party agencies and pay six hundred dollars a month. Think they can get a good agent. You're not going to get a good agent for six hundred dollars a month. A lot of our agents are paid more than twice of that. Sometimes three times, sometimes four times, depending on the on their talent. So that's that's the way I I, I think it's it's we yeah. were able to build a. a successful company we're relatively limited capital i know it sounds like a lot of money but what we had to build it was extremely complex and yeah so that's a look it's a people company in the end hospitality no matter how much technology you have you have to have the best people and i love what you're doing there but as you you know i want to take a half step back because i want everyone to appreciate this journey of how it can be a challenge is you have this issue you start building it out you hire your italian team to build the ferrari of uh vacation rental management right you have them getting paid well but raising money is hard i've tried to do it it's very hard you got to put your deck together you got to make sure that the investors you align with them too right so you don't bring on yep. someone who's going to drive you crazy can you touch 100%. on that for a little bit like what that experience was like raising money because i'm sure you went to maybe you didn't go to that many meetings but i went to a lot at different companies to see what it was like. How was your experience? Well, yeah, I think I've talked to maybe like 400 investors. Yeah. in my career. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not easy. There's, there isn't something easy. I think obviously you have to be very motivated for whatever you're doing because otherwise it's so easy to give up <laughs> or to find reason why it didn't work. I yeah, that number is big. So I want people to understand that. You saw 400 people. Right. The, oh, people give up after five, the, six, seven. Like you believed that yeah. you got to grind it up. And now it's paying I, off. I think that this, yeah, the first uh, round that came out of about 150 investors that we met. And it, it wasn't just like a, it all happened like within three months. It happened like over a year of me pitching, going to networking events and not understanding what the investors are looking for. Because oftentimes it's like, you don't. You think you know what they want to hear, but you don't. And then you have to actually talk to them and get a lot of no's. Because out of all these no's, you can make small adjustments and pivots to whatever you're pitching them, so that you can start speaking their language. Uh, because I think it's it's important, right? Um, and so that's that's how we got the first investment. Start building whatever we were building. Things didn't happen as quick as we wanted to. So 
and then pandemic arrived. So we were at one point uh, with a, a month worth of cash left. And uh, I was another probably good 150 pitches in. <laughs> in between, I pitched other people like in, uh, mm -hmm. in between the two rounds as well. Um, and then uh, just just last minute, we got a few different people that were interested, but one ended up uh, coming through, and 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 we took it, and it was a good investment and allow us to get to get us to where where we are today. So it's. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's a full-time job. <laughs> Pitching is a full-time job, and you still had to run. You still were a management company, right, during this time, and you still, Correct. would you say you still are a management company, even though you're building the software that runs your management? Yeah, we, we I think the management company is, is, is something that, uh, not it, it is something that we're phasing out. Um, we're keeping just some assets, just for, we're, the only reason why we're keeping some assets still, well, number one, if they're profitable, why not? You know, nobody wants to throw away money. Um, and then some of them, we are still in contracts, so we can't just get off of contracts. And the last piece I think is most important is because, honestly, we we experiment on them. Yeah. <laughs> it's much better experiment on something that is that that I pay the consequences if it doesn't work than doing it on my clients. So we like that um, that part of things to so just have something that you can testing on. It's like developing a software for an airplane and then you don't get an airplane to test it on. You, you sure <laughs> don't want to be the first one <laughs> buying that software, that's you true. know? Um, and and I think uh, that's actually one of the mistakes that happens in uh, in a lot of the software in, in our space. Nobody's ever run a hospitality company and they expect to know what managers need. And some of the best tools actually are from people that were running a hospitality management company before. Yeah. And to throw some names, Wheelhouse, right? They're, they were Lyric before that. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They saw what worked and what didn't. So I think that's, that is uh, not something something to completely undervalue. No, and, I, and when, you know, I give clients advice saying, if you're going to use technology, use the right technology. And usually that right technology was by people who are scratching their own itch in hospitality. So you know that they're solving a problem that exists versus a tool that is made by someone who's never been in hospitality. So I love that you're doing that. So now if somebody were to meet you on the street, what is Journey doing now and looking to do in the next couple of years? I, I think we are riding a trend of consolidation. There's any space, it's becoming exponentially more complex because there's more technology coming every day. So I think anybody that takes a lot of different technologies, combining in a very elegant way and provides it to you, are going to be big winners. And I can give the first example of a very successful company that just did that, which is Hapful. <laughs> that, that was early on, but but they did that, right? They did that with computers. Like computers are, were not something so accessible. And you had to build your own computer. They didn't even have an operating system, but they had. And, but it was like you had to write commands and you don't have a mouse that you can click on on different windows and the, the, you know open different things and and make it very seamless for the final user and i think we are in the hospitality industry we're very similar to early computers age where there's not that macbook pro of the situation that is the reason why you need to hire a cto to run a hospitality company that's not supposed to go that way 
right? Like it's not it's not going to be sustainable. The fact that you have a CPU you need to have a CPU in order to run a hospitality company. And I think the big winners, whether it's us or others, we happen to believe that it's going to be ours. Us, but <laughs> but I'm I'm sure we're not going to be the only one. Are going to be people that make that access to technology very simple and seamless, and make it actually work. You know, remove the most amount of bugs, just like Apple did with viruses and bugs themselves, right? Because it's a closed environment. They you don't question whether where where the chip or the motherboard was made on on Apple. You don't care if it's IBM or their own chip. I mean, kind of do, but you don't if you're yeah. on geeky. You just care that it works. Mm -hmm. Right. And so they chose the best components where they couldn't get the best components to build their own, put it together, they packaged it and, and they deliver it to the final users. And that's that's what, how we see ourselves and uh, what we see us doing uh, in this industry. Oh, I love hearing that. So you talked about it a little bit and you talked about short term rentals you're doing, you really focused on, but now even boutique hotels. And I see it kind of transferring over where hotels need to be more efficient. How is your tool helping boutique hotels in that way? Yeah, I love that you asked that question. Um, we we actually built the tool with the intent to be uh, a perfect tool for short-term rental and at every stage of the short-term rentals, which I think is very important because from three properties to a thousand properties, people change system like four or five times. You yep. can ask anyone who scales to that and they can testify to that. So having a system that stays with you and then also system stays with you, whether you're managing a single family home or you're managing a, an, a, a park hotel, basically like uh, apartments in a, uh, yep. yeah, like hybrid hotels, rentals. yeah, whichever, whichever title you're using. Yep. Or that you're running a full hotel, right? A full boutique hotel, independent hotel, like your tool, this, 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 you need to have a system works for all of them. For multiple reasons. One, there's a lot of management company now. They're they're just coming like some of the on the hotel space are capping the short-term rentals and vice versa, right? From the short-term rentals, a lot of people are starting to get hotel assets. And two is because uh, there's a lot of a lot to teach from one industry to the, to another. And efficiency, the efficiency that I our system, but I think in general, like the short-term rental industry can teach to hotel. It's it's insane. Um, I have seen with my own eyes this this is something that if I had the time, which I don't because I get some time to journey, I would just go into the investment of literally buying distressed hotel boutique hotel assets and then convert them into like short-term stays highly efficient, fully automated hotels, to be honest, yep. or Airbnb, call them whatever, and market to both markets because the opportunity is massive. So I honestly think that, that the opportunity for hotels, it's even bigger to, sh to learn from our industry. I just think that they're slow movers. So uh, smart management companies or smart individuals that they can definitely monetize this, uh, uh, inefficiency in the market. No, I love hearing that. So any of uh, you boutique hotels out there that are struggling, you call me and we'll connect you with Luca. We'll get, we'll get it set up. Uh, so Luca, you know, I want to be uh, fair of your time here because I know how busy you are. But if you were talking to Luca who just arrived from Italy and was scraping together all these villas on an Excel sheet and he was starting out today in this industry, what advice would you give to young Luca? 
Yeah, that's a that's a great that's a great question, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, hundred percent. Think big. Think ten years ahead. I think that's was something that probably I was missing, uh, especially in the beginning. You know, trying to look where this is ultimately was going, and then really try to start the journey of raising capital right away because it teaches you a lot. Because people don't invest in you, oftentimes it's because maybe you have something that is not worth being investing into it. Yeah, that's great advice. I think that's a good point to end our conversation on, Luca. I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. And I'm sure our listeners are going to be very appreciative of hearing this journey of yours. So thank you for being with us. Oh, thank you, Steve, for the great interview. Thank you. All right. Have a great rest of the day. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.